remain standing. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's short, it's simple, just two verses from verses 11 and 12. Hear now the word of God. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, today would you give us open hearts so that we delight to know your will for our lives. In the same way, would you send your spirit whose help we need in order to see ourselves and to see you and your will for us clearly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's an age-old conflict in the world around us. Uh, Micah was mentioning before, wars and rumors of wars are a part of life. Well, there is a perpetual war that has been going on ever since the very first child set foot on this earth. It is a battle between young and old in societies. Uh, Young and old seem to have a somewhat combative relationship. Uh, Playful combativeness, perhaps, but still combative. It's, It's very common to hear people my own age and older complaining about those darn millennials, right? Um... And it's pretty common to hear millennials and those younger complain about those boomers, you know. Everybody, I know I just said it bad word, sorry. Um, but it's like, a, it's like an American pastime. And, and actually, it's not even just an American pastime. It is a human pastime. Uh, those my age and younger have a habit of writing articles and tweets excoriating and mocking older generations. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And this can seem like a uniquely awful moment. We think, where, how have we gotten to this moment? How have we gotten to this time where young and old pick on each other so hard and so mean and so cruelly at times? Why have the generations turned on each other so? Uh, is this simply a modern problem that we're seeing where the younger are just rebelling against those who are older and those who are older have just had enough? Are we the very first generation to finally see how deficient our children and grandchildren really are? I want you to listen to a quote, one person writing about young people. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. Uh, Here's another one from the same person. Young people are high-minded because they haven't been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the force of circumstances. Uh, Here's another complaint about how the young use their money so unwisely. Listen to this. The young person does not foresee what is useful, squandering his money. Now, these quotes are not from your uncle's Facebook page. They are from Aristotle in the 4th century B.C. And the last quote's from Horace in the 1st century B.C. And uh, I wanted to go really far back, as far back as I could find, because I, I think I just wanted to remind us that human beings have always been very critical of those who are younger than us. Um, or if you're 40 years old like me, you're tempted to complain about those who are younger than you and older than you. So you kind of get, get to do both, the best of both worlds. Um, but the, you know, these, these age struggles have always existed. And part of the reason for that is that 
if you spend enough time around a fellow sinner, regardless of their age and regardless of your age, and you spend enough time with them, you will shockingly find sins and flaws and problems and ways that they are not living up to their responsibilities and their ideals. It is the easiest thing in the world to disdain or look down on another person, and it's very easy for us to blame the person's age for why they are the way that they are. You know, it's very easy for us to say, you know, he's this way because of his age, or uh, because of his age, I can see X, Y, or Z problems, right? Maybe we imagine problems because of age, or maybe we blame someone's age for their problems. These are very easy things to do. Well, Paul is envisioning a church in which people are not judged by their age, but by the content of their character. And Paul is saying, let no one despise you for your youth. That's really the that's really the standout verse from this passage. It's the sentence that Paul says that I think a lot of us remember. And perhaps if you've been in the church long enough, when you were a teenager, you really latched on to this verse. And then when you, when you perhaps aged out of being a teenager anymore, maybe you just sort of said, well, this isn't for me anymore. But this morning, I want us to look at two points. And it's really simple. You can see the outline there on page, page 9 if you, if you use the outline. Uh, and the outline is just simply despising youth and embracing youth. So let's look at the danger. Let's look at the warning Paul's concerned to communicate. But then let's look at what, how Paul plans to equip young people to answer judgments that others may have of them because of their age. So, so there's some negativity here, but then there's some positivity. And I want us to, to lean on both of these this morning. So first, let's focus on what Paul says about despising youth. Uh, the text is really straightforward. He just says, let no one despise you for your youth. When he uses the word despise, he's not talking about hatred. He's not talking about animosity. He's, he's not anticipating that there are people who hate Timothy because of his age. What he's really anticipating is that there are people in this church that may not take him seriously because of his age. They're going to be tempted to look down on him. They're going to look at this guy and say, he hasn't been through nearly enough. He doesn't know what he's talking about. They're going to be dismissive of the ministry of this young man. So on the one hand, Paul is, is writing this to Timothy, but, I, but actually remember this, that he, he also intends for others to read this besides just Timothy. He wants his readers to also hear this. And when they read these letters, especially these saints in Ephesus where Timothy is ministering, what are they supposed to do as well? They are supposed to also not despise him. There's, a, there's, an, there's an implication here that they are supposed to not despise, and he is not to give them a reason to despise. So let's look into the problems that, that we may need to work through. I, I want to group them under... Uh, these two categories, how we may be, be tempted to think about other people's youth, and then how we may be tempted to think about our own youth. So, so first, think of Paul's words here and how they address how we might be tempted to despise others because of their age. When I was in seminary in Mississippi, I had this incredibly formative opportunity almost every week to be preaching on the circuit. Last week, I told the story about the church with the wasp explosion. Um, you know, every month I got to preach on the circuit at different churches, and, 
after a while, we found a consistency where we would go to the same churches and we would try to hopefully minister repetitively in the same congregation so that it would almost feel like we got to know them. So when we're preaching, we're not preaching to a room of strangers each week, but we're actually getting a routine and we're learning what these people's lives are like and what their challenges are so we can preach to that. And I remember uh, arriving at one particular church, doing the service, and then afterward there was an, an, an older woman that came up to me and she told me that she had really grown a lot now that these seminary students were preaching at the church. And at first I thought, oh, see, this, I knew it. I knew it. It's working. It's going great. These seminary students, you know, we're coming out here. We're like superheroes to them. They really, they really need us. And uh, it was, I was very smug. At least that was my first reaction. And then I, I said, how have you grown? And she said, well, for the longest time, I couldn't listen to any of these preachers who were younger than me. And she said that it was very hard to listen to sermons from a young man who had less, less life experience than her, who'd been through less pain than her, who had experienced less difficulty than her. And listening to all these 20-year-old guys talk about life as if they knew what they were doing was very hard for her. And then she said, slowly, the Lord was showing her that, first of all, as she got older, almost every preacher was going to be younger than her. <laughs> and, and then second, she realized that if they were preaching the word faithfully, it didn't matter how young they were. And so she had this realization grow on her uh, that, that this was going. So it wasn't actually us preaching. It was just us physically being there that kind of caused her to, to reckon with that. So it was nothing special about us at all. Um, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. These things apply more broadly than just to pastors. They apply more broadly than just to ministers. You know, Paul really doesn't want someone to write off a minister or decide that they can't listen to someone's preaching because of their age. Uh, and some people have trouble with this. They have trouble listening to a younger minister, but they might have trouble listening to an older minister. There are, there are just generations who seem to think that if somebody's in their 20s, that they are just the greatest communicators that ever existed, and they must have fountains and fountains of wisdom. Well, as a former 20-year-old preacher myself, that's just, that's a lie. Um, uh, what a shame when people turn away from a church because the pastor has gray hair. Um, Proverbs, Proverbs says that, that the uh, gray hair is a crown of wisdom. Why would we turn away from a church because the person who's preaching has wisdom. It's also a shame when someone says, I can't listen to the, the preaching because the pastor's just a kid, right? Because it's, it's possible to despise someone for being younger than you, and it's possible to despise someone for being older than you. Uh, despising someone for their youth doesn't mean despising someone because they're young. It's despising someone because of their age and saying, I'm not going to take you seriously or listen to what you have to say. Uh, both of these things are wrong, says Paul. He says, the word and the ministry of Christ is what matters. And so you can have this error that can go both ways here when it comes to people's age. But I, I also think, you know, if you look, he actually is, he's, he's writing for these other people to, to hear. But he also is writing because he wants, he wants Timothy to know how to think about his own age. And so let's think about how we regard our own age, especially if we're young. I mean, after all, that's Timothy here. Timothy's a young man. He's almost certainly ministering to older saints or at least those who are the same age as him. Uh, it's possible for, that Timothy could be filled with all kinds of insecurities because of his own lack of experience or because he knows how lacking he is in the sort of gifting maybe he sees in someone like Paul. 
You can imagine serving alongside of the Apostle Paul and feeling deeply insecure about your own ability to care for people. It's possible to sell your own contributions as a Christian short because of your age. And again, I think this goes both ways. I think there are older Christians who sometimes I talk to them and they beat themselves up and they seem to think that they're of no use to the church. Older Christians are almost of more use to the church. Many of them are retired. Many of them have the time to actually pour into the church and serve the church and care for the church in the way that a young, busy family that's running around, maybe raising multiple children, is not able to invest themselves. I have found that older Christians end up being the biggest contributors to, of their own time to the church. The church is blessed by older, minister, or by older members sharing their gifts. So I see the problem go both ways. I see people write themselves off because of their age. And, and it's possible to sell your own contribution short because of your own age too. Proverbs tells us that the point of wisdom is this, to give knowledge and discretion to the young. Right? So if you're, if you're young, God has an intention. He has a plan for you. His plan is for you to become a wise person who gains the knowledge of God, but who also lives out and applies that knowledge. So if you're, if you're young and you're gaining wisdom, then it doesn't matter if you're young. You see that? Because the whole point is the wisdom. The point is not the youth. What matters is that you have knowledge and discretion. That's the goal God has for you. He doesn't have an age goal for you. He has a wisdom goal for you. He has a knowledge goal for you. So let's say you're a, a young person in this situation. Maybe you're someone in the church. You feel like you're on the younger end of the spectrum. I'm not going to tell you what young is. To some of you, I'm young. To some, of, to some of you, I'm a very ancient person, and you see all the gray hairs on my beard. Um, or, you know, or you're like my kids, and you think that I grew up with a black and white TV. Um, I actually did grow up with a black and white TV. <laughs> uh, what should, what, what should your aspiration be if that's you, though, if you're on the younger end of things, right? To put it simply, you should be laboring to develop a reputation for the things Paul is going to talk about in our second point this morning. So when we get to the second point, I want you to be listening, and I want you to pay attention because that's what you're going to be aiming at. So, so make it your goal to become someone who is not giving others an actual reason to despise you. Don't give anyone a reason to despise you. If they're going to despise you, let them be wrong and unfair. Don't give anyone a legitimate reason to say, look at that young whippersnapper. Um, we'll talk more about this in a moment, but listen to this passage from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4.13, it says this, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take advice. Isn't he, isn't he saying what Paul is saying? That wisdom is what matters, not age? Right? This isn't just a hypothetical. It's possible to be a young and wise person, and it's possible to be old and foolish, says Ecclesiastes. So, so what's happening in Ecclesiastes is, is, in a sense, the author is saying, age and wisdom may have some correlation, but they're not absolutes. Just because someone is old doesn't mean that they're wise, and just because someone's young doesn't mean that they're ignorant or stupid. They don't line up. So there's a balance here, right? You can be young and have a lot of things that to learn and, and not even be aware of it. You know, like Aristotle says, these young people think they know everything and they don't know that they don't know everything. That's possible. 
There are certain dangers that come with being young. One of the things about being young is that uh, life seems really simple, and you can think that things are really figured out. Uh, you have things really figured out. Uh, some young Christians sometimes can get frustrated towards older Christians and become arrogant towards others. Um, it feels like a hallmark of the 20s that, that's, that that was my attitude, right? Youth comes with certain infirmities, especially if, if you're lacking in wisdom. So how do you think of your own youth? You, 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 what you do is you set your eyes on Jesus. You live as God calls you to. You don't make your age the primary identifier of who you are and what your value is and what your value to the church is. You don't say, I can't help the church because of my age. So both of these angles, I think, help us not to despise youth. You know, on the one hand, we shouldn't despise our own youth. On the other hand, we shouldn't despise someone else's youth or lack thereof. Paul's trying to move us away from those sorts of categories. He's trying to move us away from that kind of thinking. Wisdom and experience, not age. But second, Paul's moving us toward positively embracing youth. Right? How can we resist despising someone else? Part of the answer is what we do is we stop being so critical of this person. We stop looking at them and thinking, look how lacking he or she is there. Look at, look at what he's missing there. Look what he did. I know what he did uh, just a few years ago. I know what he was like. And you start playing over in your head the faults of other people, which again, you can always find if you look hard enough. Part of, part of the answer is by focusing on the good that God is doing in somebody else's life. So you focus on the truths that God is using them to teach. You you focus on their growth in faith that the Lord is developing. Maybe you look back a few years and you look at where they were before and you think about where they are now. You focus on the, the holy life that God is helping them to grow in, right? I'm, in other words, I'm saying see the good in what God is doing in the life of this person that you're tempted to not take seriously because of their age. Um. I don't have this problem here. I, I, I never feel like anybody uh, picks on me because I'm not old enough or young enough. Um, but if you have trouble listening to a preacher, listening to a pastor, taking seriously a ruling elder because they are or aren't a certain age, I think Paul, I think Paul would say you need to have that internal battle and come out hearing God's word and prizing Christ. That's what Paul would say. You need to have that struggle you need to see that, that, that you need to see this the way that Paul's talking about here. And you need to say Jesus and his word and God and what he has to say are more important than these superficialities that it's so tempting to focus on. And so if he gives you a pastor or elders as his instruments and they aren't as old as you would like, I think Paul would tell you to get on board and listen to his word regardless of what the messenger is like. He can bring you his word regardless the age of the messenger. I was at a seminary. I had graduated, but sometimes I would come to the campus and sit in on chapel. And one time there was this brand new uh, kid. He was like 19 years old. Uh, like he, he was one of those super geniuses that graduated from high school when he was like 16. And he went off to college and he graduated in like two years. And here I was in chapel and I was listening to like a 19-year-old kid preach. And here I was... 29 or 30 at the time and listening to this guy going, look at this whippersnapper, you know, because when you're 30, a 20 year old seems like a whippersnapper. And 
this guy preached such an incredible, he, 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 it was an incredible text, and he just opened the word and simply explained it, and I was so blessed by it. And when he went up there, I was so biased. I was like, he's still got zits. I can still, I was like, I can still, he's like, he's a teenager, you know? And he, and God blessed me from the preaching of the word from this young man. And I was reproved. I felt really bad. I felt really bad that I had prejudiced myself and said, I'm not going to get anything from this, this man. And it wasn't true. And, and see, I think Paul would tell you that, that uh, it's important for you to, to be blessed by Christ and his word. See, Paul is not really focused on how not to despise someone. He, 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 he's saying you can be blessed by somebody regardless of their age. And, and for Paul, he's not focused on how not to despise someone. He's, he's really focused on the responsibility the young person has so that others have no reason to despise him. I mean, after all, this is written directly to Timothy. He really is telling Timothy, hey, you have a, a large role to play in this. So he's saying young people, in other words, need to be aware of how much of a role they have to play in how other people treat them. And how are they supposed to, to combat that? They are supposed to set the example. There's to set the example for all believers, regardless of age. So part of, part of the answer Paul gives to Timothy is, he's on one level, it's unique to a minister. Right? He's talking to a pastor. This is somebody who's preaching and, and teaching the word uh, consistently. It's, it's really important that people be able to hear the ministry of the word without unnecessary impediments getting in the way. So what is Paul's plan for somebody in Timothy's shoes, maybe a pastor, maybe a ruling elder who might seem a little young to an outside observer. Well, Paul leads off by saying, command and teach these things. So Paul is, is telling Timothy to teach and keep teaching. He's telling him to focus on the fundamentals. He's telling him not to grow tired of focusing on the fundamentals. He's telling him, be repetitive. There is a certain repetition to Christianity. There is a repetition to the plan God has for us. We're supposed to embrace these things that we, in a sense, are going to hear over and over again. We shouldn't prize innovation. What we need to prize is the old, solid truths that we keep forgetting. The problem is not, well, I really just need to hear something really different than I've heard before. When am I going to hear something really different? And, and the answer is, well, Paul is saying, command and teach, command and teach, command and teach these things, all the stuff that I've been saying already. Eventually, you're going to hear the same message again. Eventually, you're going to hear the same thing. And the reason is because God knew you'd forget it. A few years ago, Michael Horton wrote a book called Ordinary. I think I recommended it in Sunday school before. Uh, but in that book, Michael Horton talks about this reality that, that what we do is teach and hear and have impressed upon us old truths repeatedly. We're just coming to hear what we were supposed to remember and we forgot. And that's what we do. We come back and we get refreshed and we get reminded. The, the pool gets stirred so that the water stays lively. And we go back and we live life again. And then we come to have the pool stirred again. And we have more water poured in. And we keep being fed. And so we need to be very careful not to be hungry for innovation. We should be hungry to know Jesus better. We should be hungry to learn the task of setting our eyes on him and how we can do that more all the time. Now, that doesn't sound exciting if you're a restless heart or if you're a rolling stone or you're always looking for something new. 
But here's what it does. It shows, the wis- that it shows wisdom that we aren't obsessed with innovations. That's part of what wisdom is, is realizing that we haven't remembered the very things we are supposed to remember. Um, when Calvin talks about this verse that we're looking at this morning, he says, one of the marks of a pastor's wisdom is remembering what is really necessary and focusing on the thing that's really necessary. Uh, and then he says this, he says, pastors shouldn't be afraid of giving people what is necessary repetitively. He says, pastors shouldn't be afraid that they're going to become wearisome to a congregation by saying the same things over and over again. And here's the reason why. He says, whoever is of God will gladly hear frequently those things which need to be so often uttered. So if you, if you really need to hear something and then someone says it and then they say it again and then they say it again, somebody who knows they need that thing is not going to be bored by it and they're not going to be wearied by it. And so Calvin says to the preacher, don't be afraid of repeating yourself. It's a frequent problem of mine. I go to a text and I say, I've got to find a different way to say this. I've got to find a different way. You know what's the hardest? Christmas time. How do you say the same passage every year in a way that sounds different? And at a certain point, you reconcile yourself to the fact that I'm going to probably preach, hopefully, 40 or 50 sermons on the birth of Jesus. And I have to stop worrying about whether each of these sounds different than the last one. Eventually, you say, look, it's the birth of Jesus. It is a great thing. It is a happy thing. Same thing with the resurrection. Probably... I hope I preach more than 40 or 50 resurrection sermons. I hope every sermon's a resurrection sermon. But, you know, you get into that mindset, right? Where you say, I've just got to do something different. And, and Calvin says, don't worry about that. People need to hear these things. So be repetitive. I think that's a great encouragement. You know, it's, it's a part of God's plan for Paul, that, that, or Paul's, Paul's plan for Timothy, that this is how he's going to protect people from despising him for his youth, by being a wise pastor who gives people what their souls need. He says, command and teach these things. Because over time, people are going to start to learn, yeah, he's younger than me, but he cares about me. Uh, he's, he's younger than me, yeah, but, but he loves me. And, and he's younger than me, but God's using him to feed my soul. He's, he's using him to open the word and, and minister to my heart. And you stop worrying about you stop worrying about the age of the person, and you start saying, "Lord, bless me with your word today." Whoever brings it to me. Now, Paul, Paul mentions some other ways Timothy should remove reasons for people to despise him. By the way, we can't control how other people think about us. We can't control what other people say about us, but we can make sure, as far as we're able, not to give people a good cause to despise us. Um, But all the things Paul mentions here have to do with the example he's supposed to set. But then they go more broadly to the way that all of us who are on the younger end of the scale are are meant to live so that people don't judge us for our age. So I think we have some principles here that are for all Christians. And especially if you're young, I hope that you will open your ears and I hope that you will listen carefully because Paul does have young people in mind as he's saying these things. He says, he says that they need to set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. I'm going to break these down into three categories because I'm a preacher and I just break things into threes instinctively. I just get a sandwich and I cut it into threes, <laughs> even though that doesn't make sense, you know. Um, so the first way Paul tells young people to set an example is by speech, right, about the way that we talk, the way we relate to others. 
Um, our mouths are how we communicate and show our own hearts to people. Uh, the heart displays who we are. In, in Scripture, the, there are all sorts of warnings about the tongue. There are all these warnings about speech, warnings about the way we act, the, the way we talk to each other. And those warnings are important because Jesus tells us that what comes out of our mouth shows the uncleanness that's inside already. So, so we really show people what things are like in here when we let things come out of here. So James chapter 3 tells us the tongue is a fire. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. The mouth is so dangerous because our hearts struggle with sin. Our, our mouth is like a loaded gun and it is so easy to misuse. It has the potential to devastate devastating. Notice, notice what James says that, that there's something almost more poisonous about the fact that you might use your mouth to bless someone. So they think this person's the kind of person to bless me. And then they can get whiplash when from the same mouth come this, these venomous, angry words with no grace whatsoever. Maybe even aimed at them. Or worse, maybe they find out that someone used their mouth to talk about the person. They were just saying good things to their face. There's a temptation to hurt others. And something about youth can add to this temptation, right? In a society like ours where young people are told that we're so important, we're, we're told that we're so special, that, that we should have almost this outsized voice, almost that the voice of the children is more important than the voice of those who are older, it's, you hear that message often enough, it suddenly becomes tempting to use our outside voice at an outside, outsized volume. That's the danger of speech. That's, that's how things can go bad. But let's be positive. How can we use our speech well? Proverbs has a few things to say about this subject. It's, so, it's just a good word for all of us. Again, you know, I keep saying, young people hear this, but just everybody hear this. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft word turns away wrath. Harsh word stirs up anger. I won't ask for a show of hands, but it's a Sunday morning. You guys got ready for church this morning, and unless you have an equal number of bathrooms relative to the number of people in the house, a harsh word may have been stirred up today. Uh, or if you had to ride here in the same car together, like peasants. <laughs> Probably a harsh word was raised in the car. Somebody was thumping their fingers on the dashboard. And we decided to handle that perfectly and smoothly, right? Uh, harsh word turns away wrath. Harsh word stirs up anger. If you're young, just take that in. Um, if you're not young, take it in too, but... The wise of heart, this is Proverbs 16, 21. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sweetness of speech. Gentleness in the way you talk. Taking it easy on those people that really need to hear a harsh word and saying, I'm going to use sweet speech because I want to persuade you. I don't just want to stomp you. I want to persuade you. Proverbs 19.1, better a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. 
Proverbs 22.11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. I just need all the reminders I can get about having speech that is gracious. Paul says, set an example in speech. This is what it looks like, right? The, the picture here is, is of a person who, who isn't known for dressing others down, who isn't known for speaking unkindly when a gentle word is needed, someone who is instead known as an encourager, who doesn't get instantly frustrated with people and just lets them instantly know. When Paul tells Timothy to set the, example, the believers an example in the way he's speaking, he's telling this young person, you make it easier for the older generation to take you seriously if you learn by God's grace to tame that tongue. Tame the hardest thing about you. Set an example of wise speech and, and then you won't have to pull rank. You won't have to remind people that they're not supposed to despise you. Uh, if you're a young person, and I never did this, but... That's just because I didn't think about it. Uh, if somebody ever despised you for your youth, it'd be very easy just to pull this verse out and say, you're not supposed to despise me. I may deserve it, but you're not supposed to say anything. Uh, don't, don't behave in such a way that you have to pull that verse out. It's too late if you've done it. You've already, you've already ruined it. Um, the second way Paul tells young people to set an example is in the category of faith. He says, set them an example in faith. I... I look back on my youngest years as a brand new Christian as the most, most formative part of my Christian life. Even though now it's been 20 plus years, I still look back at the fire of those early days. And I still look at the, the books that I read early on, and I still look at the preaching and the things that I listened to early on, and they ended up forming me and setting me off into the trajectory that I followed. And I do not have the same fire today that I had when I was 19. I don't have the same flame and fury burning in my bones that I had then. And now it's a smoldering fire instead of a, of, a, of a wild flame. But I needed those early years. I needed that. I needed that white hot flame burning in my own heart. And I look back now and I realize that the, that, that flame was also an encouragement to people in my life who were older and felt like they had lost that flame. And when I see young, enthusiastic Christians who are burning with joy in their heart for Jesus, it is an encouragement to me and a reminder to me of the same thing. And, and I know that, that, that what Paul is talking about here is something like that, right? Um, it doesn't have to be complicated. He says, set them an example in faith. Faith is setting your eyes on God, and it's trusting in Christ to be our Savior. And, and Paul is, is telling Timothy... And I think he's telling all Christians, really, he's saying, live a life of faith, not, to, not intellectually assenting to and confessing a life of faith. He's talking about a, a faith that shows itself in action. He's talking about real faith, living faith, not just words. There's a quote from Robert Murray McShane. He was a, a Scottish pastor who died at the age of 30. Uh, and Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. The Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. You know people that make it hard to believe in God? People that profess God and you just think, why am I in the same club as them? I, I remember one Christian missionary saying that because of his father's prayers... And because of his father's faith, and because he could see that his father really believed, 
it convinced him to live for the honor of such a God. When others around us behave like they do, it has a way of carrying us as well, even when our own faith is weak. And, and Paul says, set an example in faith. He's saying, be somebody who lives these things out. Make it easy for others to believe. There are very few better ways in the long run to prove the skeptics in your life wrong than to just set your eyes on Jesus, live humbly, live repentantly, and live faithfully. Eventually, the critics have to be quiet. Seek close communion with God. Make the Lord a consistent priority in your life. And eventually, people won't be able to deny it, regardless of your age happens to be. Paul says to Timothy, set a believers, the believers an example in your faith. The third way Paul tells young people to set an example is in the area of holiness. He says, he says set the believers an example in conduct, in love, in purity. In other words, he's talking about holiness. He is calling Timothy to be a living example of what holiness looks like. Holiness means being set apart. It means being separate. It means being different from the world. Uh, it, it doesn't mean just to abstain from sin and, and flee from sin, but it also means positively keep God's commands. Show people what it looks like to be holy, not just what it doesn't look like to be holy. And seeking to actively please God and become more like Jesus as God continues to work holiness into your own heart and into your own life. You're modeling these things. You're living them out. You're not just, it's not just sin avoidance. It's righteousness pursuing. Um, going back to the point of this letter, you have these false teachers who didn't do this. See, for the false teachers... This is all just intellectual games. These are mind games. These are word games. These are ideas to be talked about. They sit around in circles and they talk about the ideas, but they don't live them out. And, and so unlike the false teachers, Timothy's life is not supposed to be divorced from his teaching. His life and his teaching and his beliefs are all supposed to fit together like puzzle pieces that complete the picture of who he is. It's all meant to be of one piece together. So it's not like you, you preach one way, you, you live another. That's how you live if you want to prove the despisers right. If you live a different life than you confess, then here's what you've done. You've proven all your confessors right. You know, he doesn't have real faith. This has all just been a performance for him. That's what happens if you don't pursue these things. And instead, Paul is telling him, you want to prove the despisers wrong? You want to really help the church well? Then be holy. Pursue Holiness, seek close communion with God, abide in Christ, live in dependence on the Spirit, make likeness to God through faith the priority of your life. I mentioned young Robert Murray McShane again. Listen to what he says about himself and his own priorities as a pastor. He says, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. Now, that's a bit overstated, right? In fact, it's very overstated because the greatest need of any congregation is actually the holiness of Jesus, right? What you need most is not Adam Parker's holiness. What you need is Jesus's holiness and Jesus's righteousness. But there's, there's something here though, right? He, he's saying that what God's people need is for their pastors and elders to be holy, which is true. So, but it goes wider than that. Young Christians, be pure, 
Pursue, pursue holiness. Don't, don't look at holiness as something to be bashful of or something to be laughed at or something that's a joke or something that's only for monks and nuns. This is something that's for all Christians. This is something that's a calling for you. And, and I think young people, when I, was my, when, when I was young, that was all I heard. And I think that, I think it was overdone in some ways when I was younger. But I also think that you make a huge mistake if you don't set it before God's people as a goal. Holiness and purity and joy. All of these things are things God actually does call us to. He's saying, don't actually just believe, but actually live a life of faith. And, and in that way, what are you doing? You're putting to rest any who may despise you for your youth. You know, as much as we don't want those who are young to be puffed up, um, it always troubles me when someone says, you know, I need to make sure to keep them humble. Like, it's my job to keep other people humble. Have you ever known people who think it's their job to keep everybody humble and they, they got a pride detector? I can tell that person's proud over there. I'm going to keep them humble. Um, the greatest danger with young Christians, I don't think, is that they'll become puffed up. The, the biggest danger is that they will be sidelined and discouraged and withdraw. One of the biggest mistakes we can make with young people is to tell them that someday they will be of use to God. Someday. Someday you can be useful to the Lord. Someday the Lord will use you. And they may actually need to be taught that God is eager and ready to use them right now and not in the distant future. That they should be pursuing holiness right now. That it's not some distant thing that they're supposed to aim at when they get older, but that these are things that should be growing in their own hearts and souls as we speak. Um, are there young people that you see, even in this church, who need to be encouraged? And they need to be encouraged that, that you can see God at work in their heart. You can see God at work in their life. Is it, is it possible that what, what they really need is for you to tell them what God also sees? That you can see them growing in Christ. That you can see that they're putting their eyes on Jesus that you can tell that the Lord is important to them and that it fills your heart with joy and it encourages you to see them here? Is it possible that that's really what's needed? Um, maybe they need you to say it to them. Use your tongue to build them up. Remind them that put your sin on Jesus. Don't try to carry it yourself. Encourage them in the faith. Remind them that Christ is the Savior. Fix your gaze on him as the author and perfecter of their faith. Be, be encouraging them to do that. And there's another place where Paul says to encourage one another. So let's do that. Let's be encouragers of each other. Let's not be critics of each other. Let's not take a skeptical stance toward brothers and sisters. Ninth commandment tells us that we're supposed to have a charitable esteem for one another. So our posture when we see another person should not be, you know, they really need someone to criticize them. Uh, I think I will be that figure in their life who makes sure to point out all of their flaws. But instead, Paul says, no, encourage one another. You have a charitable esteem of one another. What does that look like? It means say to somebody, I can see that your faith in Jesus is growing. Let's all do what Paul calls for here today. What's he, what's he calling for? Living in such a way that it doesn't matter how old we are, we're all living for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray for those among us here who are young, that they would know what they are called to.
that they would know what you aspire for them, that you call them to set an example for other believers, that you call them to the same holy life of Jesus, that you call them to a life of faith. And I pray for them that they would be daily and weekly growing more and more to be like Jesus. But I also pray for those who are older in the faith that you would likewise be growing them into your likeness through faith in Jesus. I pray that you would help them to encourage those who are younger in what it means to be a follower of Christ. Help them also to be examples that we might spur one another on to follow you together. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.